how to be global means to me discovering the world in gratitude. And this is something so beautiful and enriching. Um, I've always been a very curious person. I really wanted to discover the world. And um, I guess the prerequisite to do that is being open, being welcoming, embracing different cultural behaviors and attitudes to let this happen, to be observant and non-judgmental. Hello and welcome. This is Sarah and I'll take you on my global discovery journey through all the stereotypes, fun stories, but also global struggles. What do you have to do with it? Well, you're actually more global than you think. Each episode, we will unpack what it takes for all of us to be part of this global world. Are you ready? This is the How To Be Global podcast. Hello and welcome How To Be Global podcast listeners. I'm excited to present you another episode today with a person who I've actually met on LinkedIn and... She is a global branding strategist. She's an incredible person. She has so much enthusiasm. I'm, I'm really excited for this interview today. And actually, we will have two interviews. So one interview is on the How to Be Global podcast, and the other interview will be on her podcast. But we're going to talk about all of this in the end. Welcome to the show, Bridget. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Awesome. And what I always do with the podcast, I let the guests introduce themselves because they can do it much better than I could ever do. So please feel free to introduce yourself to the audience. All right, then. This is really a role reversal for me today. Usually I'm the podcast uh, podcaster who is asking the question. So, um, yeah, where should I start? I had a very unconventional journey, I would say, in my life um, to get there where I am now. Um, as a child, I always wanted to become a flight attendant. So that was my dream. The first time I stepped into a plane, I knew I have to become a flight attendant. And I made my dream come true. So um, when I was 20, I started flying for Louder Air. Uh, it uh, was the airline that Niki Lauder, the Formula uh, One car race driver, uh, started. And um, I have um, flown for five years as a flight attendant. So at that time, five years was really pretty long. I started on long haul. So most of the time, I traveled back and forth uh, from one continent to the next continent. And uh, there were months I actually traveled to four to five different continents uh, yeah so it was very stressful but uh, it was such a learning experience for me in terms of cultural understanding diving into these different mentalities and but also um, the work itself serving others to make them comfortable and feeling uh, being appreciated on board was really a wonderful thing but after a while i figured that's not enough for me i i was missing something i was intellectually mm -hmm. not really challenged so i thought what am i gonna do with the rest of my life and uh I was 23 when this started, um, too early to leave. And uh, 
Yeah, with 25, I decided, okay, I have to go back to school. And I had no choice at that time because either you fly or you're not flying. <laughs> and there was no study in fly. It was in the 90s. So either you 100% commit yourself or not. Yeah, then, then I left and um, I studied international marketing and management um, and uh, yeah, business education. After my studies, I went uh, back to the industry. I've worked with different companies and then I had the opportunity to do my PhD and fully concentrated on that. I did my PhD in international marketing and management and uh, yeah, then I also went to the United States. I spent one year there teaching at the University of Missouri in St. Louis. Uh, I taught international mm -hmm. management and I returned back to Austria, continued teaching as on a sideline, all different kinds of topics, uh, doing business in emerging markets, global marketing management, global consumer behavior, global brand management. So branding was always something I loved already when I was a flight attendant. I was always the first one to get this or that. And I remember there was this, the brand new uh, Tommy Hilfiger um, perfume coming out. So we were all the first one to get that. And yeah, so brands was always really something that, that sticks with me. I was always on a discovery journey when I was abroad. <laughs> yeah, um, where was I? Um, yeah, then I continued teaching and... Um, I also worked with different companies. Um, I, I set up a market research department uh, at an international uh, real estate company, but then the financial crisis kicked in in 2008. Mm -hmm. So the company went bankrupt right away. And then uh, the university asked me if I want to teach uh, more, if I can take on a, a higher teaching load. And I said, yes, okay, why not? So that was actually something that really um, helped me to transfer into the next uh, phase or step in my life. And uh, I was a teaching professor then uh, for, for around eight years. And last year, my contract terminated. And I knew I cannot go back to, to do a corporate job. So I, was, I, I enjoyed my freedom in life and, and to... to, to define my day my day how I want to spend my day and how can how I can be efficient in in in, in working and doing my job and yeah I decided to become self-employed and started as a solopreneur so and cool the rest is uh yeah uh everything about my company and um, then Corona kicked in. This was in last year in, in March when I started my company. So I was wondering how can I really reach out, spread my word uh, that I'm here, that I can offer totally. branding services. And um, the only thing I thought was, okay, I could start a podcast. And so I digged in and learned everything about podcasting within a month. And started my podcast in July. And my podcast is about uh, brains, uh, of course. <laughs> um, it's about, yeah, it's for brain lovers. So 
everything that you want to learn about brands or everyone who want to get inspired and learn from thought leaders, CEOs, business owners, managers who tell their stories, who share their valuable insights from their own experience. And it's for, for people who really like um, to listen to that stories. So I like that because when I was a child, I, I didn't want to read books myself. I always listened to people mm -hmm. reading books <laughs> to me. Uh, and I'm sure there are people out there that also like to um, listen to stories. And those who want to also grow their own brand in a more strategic and sustainable way. So it's aired now every 10 days and let's see how things are evolving. Maybe, maybe I going, I'm going to change to a weekly schedule. Um, yeah, but you also need to have the time for that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I love doing it. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, this is an, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows why I invited you to the podcast because you're literally like how to be global in persona <laughs> with your background on like, traveling to so many countries experience so many cultures and now taking all this experience from one side on the culture and the other side the whole brand and like global marketing global things and literally like merging them into being a global branding strategist I think that is totally genius and what I would love to ask you in the beginning as well is so while you were a flight attendant, right, I'm sure you experienced a lot of the cultural differences. Can you give us some examples on like, you know, the most like the, maybe the experience which were like, oh my God, this was the time where I'm like, okay, I had no idea that this is happening, but there we go. Here are cultural differences. Yeah, there are a lot, uh, but um, I think most important is uh, how you interact uh, with people from uh, different cultural backgrounds. Um, I think the most important thing is to um, always think about how you make them feel with how you interact with them. And in order to, to understand that, you really need huge sensitivity and cultural understanding, this empathy that you have mm -hmm. to have. Yeah. So when you go somewhere, you really need to understand and do your homework. Yeah. Um, the best ways to, for example, if you are a company and you want to do business with another company, um, but also as um, interacting with other persons, we, we always, we all have our own thought patterns and that rely very much on our value system yeah, or belief system. And uh, there is this so-called self-reference criterion. So when we say something, when we are in a certain situation, we see things from our perspective. Mm -hmm. But we also need to factor in that the other culture is seeing it from their perspective or the other person totally. in that culture. So you have to approach a situation, a challenge from both perspectives. And then you see there is a certain gap. You're not really meeting. You're not in sync. There's awareness gap. And that needs to be singled out. And that's what you need to work on in order to find a viable solution to go forward so that you can achieve a common agreement that everyone involved is happy with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, for example, one of my first, let's say, uh, um, wake-up calls was when I got lost in Bangkok in a street as a flight attendant and think about the time it was early 90s. There were no smartphones, there were no apps like MapsMe or something like that. So you were running around with a, with 
with a map in your hands. Mm-hmm. It's paper map. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, then sometimes you need to ask for directions, right? So then you're asking someone in the street, excuse me, can you help me? Where do I find this or that? Or how do I get from here to Lumpini Park or CM Village or something like that? And then very often people kind of look at you and then um, they give you a direction to somewhere. And then you believe that's going to be the, the directions, the route to go. And then you end up somewhere completely different and even more mm-hmm. lost than before. And that comes from a losing face concept. It refers to a cultural understanding of respect, honor, and social standing. So if you ask someone for a direction, and if he or she doesn't know the answer, uh, cannot provide you with an answer, um, then you would give the person an alternative answer. Um, they would never say, I don't know, because they would feel humiliated for loss of reputation or stature. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So that is really important that you always consider that. And also when you are in a negotiation or in a discussion, um, that you never say a direct no or that is not good. The same yeah. thing, you, they feel insulted. So to find common ground and build on it, you would say it indirectly. Um, you would say, oh, that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> let's, let's, let's discuss that. And how, how can we move forward? So uh, this is a charming way of doing things. Um, and especially in this so-called high context countries, we call it like that. That's what I also teach. Um, Edward T. Hall came with that model. So high context cultures is, is a culture where you're implicitly communicating. You, you are reading between the lines. You kind of try to approximate what is the meaning behind that, what the person is telling me. Yeah. Um, we are living in a more direct culture. We say no, and we mean it. In these cultures, it's more like, ah, interesting. Yeah, so you, sometimes it's very much um, an ambiguity. You, you never know exactly. You have to get used to that. Yeah, And the yeah. better you understand culture, the, the better you can also communicate. And there's another example when it comes to that is um, that a yes not necessarily means yes. So when I still was a flight attendant, um, there was a time we were flying with mixed crew members from Vienna to Bangkok and from Bangkok then also Sydney and, 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 and back to Bangkok and to Vienna. And when we started that, we had not this awareness of, of how they how they work and understand exactly. Yeah, they had training, but then we were put together and let's go. So in a briefing, I asked one of these Thai flight attendants, um, you are flight attendant number five today. Um, you know your procedure. And she said, yes, ma'am. So I thought she knows what she's going to do up in the air. Mm-hmm. So when we were up in the air and in cruising altitude and started our our service, uh, I checked her station and everyone else was eat, uh, having drinks and started um, eating their food, but nothing was happening in this section. 
And then I ask her, listen, it's after midnight. We have to get out our meals. They want to sleep. And she was completely lost because I understood after all that a yes was for her. I have heard you, but mm -hmm. not I have understood. So in order to really make sure that things are happening the way you want it to be is to ask and get feedback how she or he has really um, understood the meaning of it. Yeah, so that gives you also a way of how to move forward yeah, in that discussion. So these are some, some learnings that are really, really important um, for doing business um, across different cultures, but also uh, as a private person, finding your way and uh, your way around in another culture. Wow, these are such great examples. And I'm sure you would have so many more in your head because you've been traveling, obviously, and seeing so many different <laughs> customers and people you work with and whatever. So thank you so much for sharing this. This is so cool because I also in previous episodes was talking about exactly like high context, low context cultures. And it's so important. Like once you hear about the concept, you're like, ah, finally, it makes sense, right? Because usually like this cultural differences and maybe also a cultural shock is like everyone is confused, but actually they're like things behind it right and if you understand the concepts it makes your life so much easier because you finally you're like oh that is why it's happening like this so thank you so much for sharing this and I mean we heard your let's call it your personal cultural journey but what you also do is obviously helping brands out there to go on their cultural and global journey and um, I know that you have some examples on like how especially not to do it right and then obviously also some things on how to do it so let's start with like maybe how not to do it first yeah there is a company everyone knows uh, it's Kellux and uh, Kellux is a very successful company but in India it was a, a bumpy road to mm -hmm. enter the market so they expected huge success in 19. 94, uh, which did not happen. So the Indian market is, is quite different than other markets. Um, uh, and when it comes to breakfast culture, even more so. So the way of um, what their breakfast is, they consume hot meals for breakfast. They want it fresh, they want it warm, they want it heavy and spicy, hot and easy to digest. So it needs to be filling. Yeah, mm -hmm. and of course, also mostly vegetarian because uh, there's a lot of uh, vegetarians in the Indian market. So you know, there's also vegetarian restaurants like McDonald's mm -hmm. um, has, and um, there's a Ayurveda metaphor: you are what you do, digest and eat. And Kellogg's also considered the Indian breakfast culture to be more an unhealthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, breakfast culture. So their only rivals are traditional Indian foods like idlis and vadas, which the managing director of Kellogg's in India communicated. So and that was not really a good a good way to, to start uh, the business there. So what went wrong? Uh, when we look at the four Ps like product, price, place, and promotion, 
Um, the taste of Kellogg's cereals and the crispy flakes, um, very unfortunate, yeah. Uh, crispy flakes can only be crispy when there's cold milk. And since they like hot breakfast, they used hot milk for it. And hence, it made the flakes really soggy. So it was not filling and they felt hungry after eating the cereals. So that was one major failure or mistake. Uh, the second one was it was priced way too expensive. So they were on a premium product pricing positioning and 33% more expensive than their competitors. They also had only one sized pack, so way too mm -hmm. big. Yeah? And the Indians love small packages. They like to buy very often in sachets. A small little one-time use, right? So you mm -hmm. see them in, in the rather rural areas and um, in, in these kiosks. Uh, and also because the Indians usually get paid weekly or daily, they do mm -hmm. not have the disposable income to purchase these huge pack mm. uh, containers. And yeah, and they were even priced 33% more than everything else yeah, in that category. So um, that was a real uh, problem. And also, they only distributed it in Mumbai. So it was really just this, the market entry was concentrated to that city and uh, also only in exclusive premium supermarkets. And when it comes to communication, they had the image of a health product. So that's what they were pushing and thereby attacking Indian breakfast habits. And so you cannot enter a market with your product. You are superior to everything else and their local yeah, food is, totally. <laughs> is not good enough so this is a no-go um yeah and also they did not really educate the market first so when you enter a market with a new product they are not used to then you have to educate the people your possible yeah target groups right so the same way the same thing happened to subway in india in 2001 they also entered the market with their sandwiches but they were not successful at the beginning because sandwiches was rather new to that market yeah so educate your customers your potential customers before you Yep. Key takeaway number one, right? <laughs> We're going to write that down. I hope everyone has notes <laughs> they can write on. Yeah, so they they learned from that mistake and Kellogg's repositioned itself with, yeah, localized product lines. They have a very sweet tooth. They love coconut. They love mango flavors. And they also came in with different sizes, lower priced and with a creativity and fun ad. Um, that's that's how you really connect with the locals mm -hmm. and also with Indians like local endorsers. So the influencers are Indians. Oh, yeah, the yeah. same with mm -hmm. China. They like their local um, their local stars and celebrities. Yeah. Um, 
yeah and when you expand into another market yeah and your brand into another market it's not just about translating the tagline yeah the best way to succeed is to study local tastes closely yeah? when colgate yeah. entered uh, the chinese market they did a really great job they came up with different flavors like green tea flavor you will not find anywhere else think about nestle's kit kat uh, they oh, have yeah, totally. more than 100 flavors in the japanese market yeah um you really need to think about that yeah and yeah when, when it also comes to entering other markets and the localization strategies there are certain products really that do not need to be adapted. It's more the, let's say we call them high-tech, high-touch products. High-tech products are, yeah, as we know, uh, Apple and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, all these uh, IT uh, products. And high-touch products would be more the, the luxury products. It's considered the luxury um, um, category, so the luxury products that if you localize, it would not come with this global myth character, with this mm -hmm. quality that they stand for. Yeah. So there are certain markets, markets that like luxury products need to be really considered as standardized products all around yeah. the world. But like you know, the Gucci bag has yes, to be the Gucci that, bag wherever yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you want to be part of that community that is a global community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people um, in, let's say, in the last 10 or even 20 years, for example, in China, um, they sacrifice necessities just to show they own, they have a Gucci bag. They can't afford that. Mm -hmm. It's really a status. But on the other hand, you need to localize consumer packaged goods, yeah? uh, food products. And there's a, a funny story um, by Hakle, uh, the Hakle toilet paper, mm -hmm. Procter & Gamble's toilet paper. They did, did a study uh, in compared the US market with the European market. And even toilet paper has to be adapted. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> European, Europeans are considered the ones that use toilet paper layered. And in the US, they are the crumblers. Yeah. So, oh, really? Yes. So there needs to be different texture and density of the toilet paper. Yeah. Oh, this is rather interesting. So there's a lot of stories I can tell. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's, um, when we go back to the Indian market and Kellogg's, there's, a, there's another important. Um, um, factor that you need to consider when entering markets that are uh, emerging markets, developing markets, and even more so when you are entering less developed markets. Mm -hmm. So they might not have the disposable income to purchase your product and you are adapting to local market needs. Yeah, You are um, kind of, um, yeah, taking off certain features of the product to make it affordable. So certain features that are not necessary for that market, for example, because there needs to be this, you have to make sure they can afford it. Yeah? So yeah. affordability is one of the markers that have, have to be 
taken into consideration and also the accessibility. You cannot sell something somewhere if you have no product distribution and uh, to, to offer it in the reach of the customer. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, this is so interesting because so many people think, oh, it's McDonald's. They're a big company. They have a lot of money, right? That's it. But especially like big global brands, it's so important for them to really make sure what you just mentioned, all the nuances on like food products, right? And I know that like McDonald's, you can recognize a McDonald's everywhere you go. However, the products they offer, right? I guess like the cheeseburger is the cheeseburger. Like that's like one of their like main products they have everywhere. But then they have like different like examples of like burgers and fries and whatever in different countries. And this is why I also especially love to go to foreign supermarkets. No matter where I am, I constantly go into the supermarkets and check out the products, right? Like how they changed, what they did with the marketing, how they communicate things. And actually, it's also really funny because I've been living in Malta. And now I live back in Austria, so a German-speaking country. You can see so many differences, for example, with like Haribo, with um, the gums. Um, so in in Malta, there were like products I've never seen before. And I'm like, I had no idea that this is actually a thing. But obviously they sell it to like the Maltese market because it works much better than it would for the German market. And um, I love all these insights you're giving because so many people don't even think about that it's so like complicated and in-depth on like how to bring a global brand seriously global but you also have to like I mean I think everybody knows like think global act local and I think this applies totally to like a global brand strategy absolutely yeah so this is this global look local touch you have to have an overall let's say look as a brand um, that uh, that you, what you stand for but you you tweak it to the local Mm -hmm. um, market needs so the local touch that is really really important and um, you can also go one step further to invent a product yeah Colgate mm -hmm. was also really doing a good job when they, they entered the Indian market at the beginning with power powder toothpaste mm -hmm. because the Indians use for example charcoal or they also use aloe vera extract um, so they put that on their middle finger and brush their teeth so in order to get them to regularly um, use also a colgate product they came in with the colgate powder and so they made the inroads into the indian market or even another step further would be then you, you uh, come in with a product innovation in a market, in an emerging market, such as um, what Coke did in 2005 in China with its Minute Maid Pulpy. So it's a juice drink with orange pulp. And it was the first million dollar brand development outside the US that they did. And wow. then they branched out into 19 different country markets across Asia, Africa and South America. So they, they used that as a, as a springboard and for other neighboring markets in Asia and then also tapped into other markets where they thought there mm -hmm. will be a need or um, 
Levi's in China did the same thing with Denison. Yeah? It was also the first brand that was launched outside the US and um, yeah, then spread to India, South Korea and Singapore. And then what they did, they reversed it back home for budget-conscious budget customer and started selling it in the Target stores in the US in 2011. Mm -hmm. And it was the priced a third of the Levi's jeans. So they had, um, yeah, um, branched out into a new target group in their home market. And there are more stories like that, but I think that is really interesting to, to reverse. Yeah, it's not only that you are um, in a, let's say globalization, you're adapting to local market needs in another market, but at the same time, you start with an innovation in a market abroad, mm -hmm. less developed market or emerging market, and then you see a need in your home market and you serve this target market in your home market with that specifics. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, <laughs> I could go on like that. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like, I feel like, you know, I would love to hear all the stories, but the listeners will be like, okay, hold on. <laughs> That's too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's amazing. And it's so interesting. And, and my last comment actually for Coke. So in case anyone, well, whenever the world is back open and you guys uh, get the chance to actually fly to the US, to Atlanta, that's where I was. I was in the Coke Museum because that's where Coca-Cola was established. And at the end of the museum, there's like a tasting room. And it sounds amazing. Honestly, in the end, it was awful because it's all too sweet. So basically what they have, they basically have um, like drinks Coke offers around the world. Mm -hmm. And they're like some really weird things. You're like, really? So I think one was from, I mean, weird, obviously, from my perspective, right? From other people's perspective, it's not weird. They, I, I just remember one thing, which was like, for my taste, the weirdest thing. I'm not sure if it was India or somewhere else in Asia, it was like a sparkling honey flavored drink. <laughs> and it was just like the weirdest thing of all times. Or like even the colors of the exact same drink are different in other countries. So if you get the chance, I mean, this was like very cool for me experienced like one brand from around the world with like different things. And you could literally obviously taste it because you got like, you know, but at the end you felt like you don't want to eat sugar for the next 30 days. But this was such a great experience, which kind of brings this whole thing, what we discussed on like global brands to life. And you can actually like touch it and taste it at the same time. Yeah, that's interesting with Coke because you consider Coke as a, as a it is a global brand, but their strategies are not global. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about, you mentioned India as a market, mm -hmm. the Coke in India is much sweeter than everywhere else because they have this sweet tooth. Yep. And they also use different sugar sources in different country markets. Mm -hmm. And they use different um, sizes of, of Cokes. In the, the size of the Coke in India is much smaller. Yeah. So, and as you said, the taste uh, is also, and the different uh, flavors that we find. So in, in Europe, for example, the cherry taste did not go, uh, did not work. So they stopped that here, but it's still, it's, it's, it goes very well in the U.S. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. So, and when a, a brand or a global company wants to enter a global market, so you already mentioned some key takeaways, but I would love for you to kind of maybe do more of a summary or like your suggestions or things they have to keep in mind if they're like a big, big company and or smaller, right? Like you're kind of because you're obviously like in this field. So you have most probably the best key takeaways for that. Yeah. So you really need to understand the whole market dynamics. Now, it's not only about con your consumer, which is the most important thing, I think, um, because you really need to understand how what their thought patterns are, what they think and what they feel. Um, but it's also about other factors like macroeconomic factors, um, political factors, economic factors, um, also religion. So when you, for example, go into um, the Middle Eastern market, think about Starbucks. They had to remove the mermaid. So what are you mm -hmm. doing with the logo? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what about colors? There's, there's, you have to be aware of that. And there's also laws and, and, and legal systems that you have to consider. And then every market has its own uh, industry dynamics. The competitive landscape looks different. So what are the locals doing? How do I fit in? So IKEA had problems in China at the beginning because um, they have a, a rather lower price system, but they have so many other local competitors um, that they really need to figure out how they can differentiate in that market. Yeah, and be successful with their strategy. Um, so the competitive landscape. And then you also need to know really what are your, your differentiation factors. So how do you as a brand create more value in the market than anyone mm -hmm. else? So you need to know your strengths. You need to know what your weaknesses are. Um, you need to know the trends out there what are the current trends in that specific market is it a global trend is it a local trend and um, the threats of course and yeah the customer you need to understand the customer inside out so you need to have empathy you need to know the extreme pain points of the customer yeah and turn them into game points you need to know the desires the needs the fears the challenges um and how you can, as a brand, solve that and help them to yeah. have a happy life. Yeah. So your brand needs to be meaningful to your customer. And everything that you communicate out, your brand identity creates a certain image in a market. An image is always a reflection of your brand identity that, that you're communicating. Yeah. So it's important that to know what the customer feels about you and and thinks about you what you want them to really so what you want to evoke there yeah mm -hmm. and uh now it's all about experiencing a brain so it's it's really how you feel uh in that specific moment yeah when you're using it when you're hearing about the brain it should go that far that you want to have um, loyal customer you want to make your brain sticky yeah relevant and sticky so it it really should go that <laughs> that far that a customer will would feel cheating on you if they were by where to buy another brand mm -hmm. yeah so that's what you want to achieve and that is 
very often different from one market to another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then, of course, I mean, what you need to also figure out because localization is very often coming along with higher costs. So you need to really think about what can I keep standardized and what do I need keeping standardized as a global brand to have this one look, one voice on yeah. one hand side and then localizing in order to get your customers on board and um, to keep them in, in the loop, in your customer journey loop and to make them loyal and, and sticky. Yeah? And it's, it's really very much about um, irrational decisions and emotional Mm -hmm. making emotional decisions long-term. You, know, you can be rational short-term, but long-term, are you really satisfied then with the brand as a customer? So there's a lot of things um, that you need to consider and you need to even more consider when you go international or global that each country market has these different ideas and thought patterns. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. This is such great advice. Honestly, I hope... Again, everybody took notes on the <laughs> notepads. Um, and I seriously, like for like, these are so valuable insights to really move forward. And for everybody who's considering going global, that it's not just a, oh, we're just going to different countries. And I guess a lot of people who have businesses, they are used to like creating the one persona, right? But usually the one persona is like for one market. And then you have to create the different personas for all the other markets you're going to. And I think this is maybe a thing a lot of people do not consider because they're like, okay, we worked it out. We have the persona. Everything works. Let's just duplicate it. And I can see Bridget nodding. I mean, you can't see her, but she's like, yes, yes, hold on. I want to add something. <laughs> oh, yes. And you know what? Since it's so much about experience and that we are experienced things as a social group, we are not anymore only talking about personas. It's about the community that we are serving with products. So we yeah. have to also keep that in mind that there's even more behind the persona. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, what I would love um, to kind of not come to the end yet, but almost is... <laughs> You created your own podcast. I already said it in the very beginning because we're also going to have a second interview on your podcast, right? And you obviously also have your own company, Bridget Brands. So I would love for you to tell the listeners a bit more on what you exactly do. I think people got already so much insight from you and they're like, I'm sure she's, got, she's hopefully doing this in her own company to help other people get these insights. But I would love to know a bit more about your own company and especially the podcast. Yeah, Bridget Brands, the name says it already. Mm -hmm. So it's my name, uh, the English version of my name. I'm actually Brigitte. Uh, my father wanted his girl to be Brigitte. Uh, <laughs> it's actually a Swedish name, but I have learned. Yeah. But since the beginning, everyone calls me Bridget. So I go with Bridget and I brain. So Bridget Brains. <laughs> yep. And um, yeah, I help clients craft meaningful strategies that uh, empower and effectively elevate their brains to unleash their full potential. So I help make 
your brand shine relevant and sticky. <laughs> How do I do that? Um, with workshops, one-on-one um, -on -one sparrings, also speeches. And I'm, I started last year going into online course content development. So mm -hmm. I have uh, started uh, with for an uh, institution um, that is in MBA programs. So I have um, developed um, an online course in marketing and started now another course. And I also thought, why should I not do this myself as a company? And nowadays uh, people are more uh, computer and tech savvy and they dare more to do things online. And I think it's also a, um, a consequence now of COVID that people... Uh, feel comfortable more so learning online yeah. and um, I have decided to start and launch a course a branding course in September it's about personal branding that is cool it has a little bit to do <laughs> me with my own personal story and you know what behind every successful brand is a person totally and usually this person is a personal brand yeah, because you let everyone is a personal brand, but some shine more than others. You let them shine. You make them shine. Think about Steve Jobs. Yeah, mm -hmm. he is a brand. Yeah, and there are many others out there too. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be um, my project that I want to roll out in September: a personal branding course uh, for boxed-in corporates who dream of being their own boss and want to create their own brand with confidence and clarity, um, who want to own their brilliance. So at, this course helps them to get over the fears and the challenges, this transition, to make the transition from an employee uh, into solopreneurship. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So that helps them, of course, that helps them to get them into their sweet spot and make their own brain shine relevant and sticky and help others with that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I'm like, oh my gosh, where can I sign up? <laughs> and then also, I mean, last but not least, I feel like this is such a big, big announcement and achievement. You just launched your very first book. Can you tell us all about your very first book and how this all happened? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's, uh, I'm a co-author, uh, co-authoring with 21 other accomplished and courageous, inspiring women from around the world. We have become international bestsellers in 10 different categories with Congrats. this book. On Friday last week, um, the book uh, is called Significant Women Leaders Reveal What Matters Most. And we talk about our leadership journeys. Um, we, we, we share our own personal stories, uh, what made us what we are today. And mine is about the pain that became my purpose. And if you are interested, you're welcome to download it on Amazon. <laughs> For sure. We're going to put the link in the show notes yeah, so people it's... can jump right in. <laughs> And, you know, the good thing here is um, all proceeds go to Elmo Girls, um, which is a program that empowers her, so the woman, to become community leaders and entrepreneurs, ensuring financial freedom, self-worth and equality in 
Eastern Kenya. Wow. Yeah, so they have really challenges like uh, local challenges like poverty, sex, uh, tourism, child marriage, female genital mutilation. So um, we are so happy that with this book, we also can do something good. And if you download, it's just 99 cents. The paperback will be more expensive, though. But um, I think that would be a, a great contribution to to change other slides, too, I would say. Yeah. Wow, this is such a cool project. And I'm very excited that we can share it here on the podcast and that people can go and download it and do it right away. And obviously, I'm also all for giving back like using, you know, we are, we were growing up and we still have so much privilege because we're living in, let's say, Austria or like in whatever country where you don't have to worry about, yeah. do I get food today? Do I have a house? Do I have a bed? And I think it's so powerful to use this privilege and not just like accept it and be like, okay, that's just what I have, but I'm not going to do anything with it at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah, we are very fortunate um living in uh, the advanced world and i think uh, it's our also our responsibility and our totally, yeah. to do something good it's yeah. so important yeah so true <laughs> all right and as the last question oh. of every single podcast <laughs> we have the question what does how to be global mean for you how to be global means to me discovering the world in gratitude and this is something so beautiful and enriching um, i've always been a very curious person i really wanted to discover the world and um, i guess the prerequisite to do that is being open being welcoming mm -hmm. embracing different cultural behaviors and attitudes to let this happen, to be observant and non-judgmental. Um, yeah, they, yeah non-judgmental is so important because when you explore these different cultures, then you see they're doing things different. And uh, all these cultures have their idiosyncrasies and there is a reason for why they do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's also so much to learn from and so much to grow from these global experiences and it expands your horizon tremendously. It gives you a completely different understanding of the world and your role in it. And I feel really great privilege that I'm being able to travel and to do this and um, put things into perspective. Totally. All right, we're gonna link all the things we mentioned in the show notes. We're gonna link your channels where people can reach you, connect with you. Um, I'm sure you will be happy to receive any kind of feedback. If you have questions, if you want to work with Bridget, right, feel free <laughs> to connect with her. We're gonna link everything, so you just have to click on it. And for now, Thank you so, so much for being on the show today. I love this conversation, all your insights. And I hope this is not the last time we're recording a podcast episode together. I hope so, that it's not the last time. And it was my pleasure. And thank you so much for being a guest on your show. Thank you. <laughs>